Today's reading is from Matthew 26, 21 to 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer the many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are but a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, um, Paul, uh, for praying, and Hannah for reading. And let's pray that God will speak to us um, through this passage. Lord, we thank you. Um, We come to you as your people, um, to your living word, and we pray and we ask by the power of your spirit that you would speak to us, to our uh, minds, um, to our hearts. Uh, Help us to see the beauty of the cross and help us to be disciples who follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could ask you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and follow along um, this passage once again to check um, that I am speaking from the scripture, but also because this is a very challenging passage, challenging passage that should challenge the way that we live. And I, I'm just praying that you will read the passage, you will uh, hear it, and you'll hear God speaking um, to you this morning. Uh, you might have played uh, Hasbro's Game of Life. Uh, It's a game that I played. I'm sure many of you have played it as well. It starts with you going to either college or choosing a career. And you do many things that you would normally do in life. Um, You take out loans, you invest in business, uh, you pay taxes, you have kids, uh, uh, you buy cars and houses and all these things. And the end of the game, the the, the game ends when you retire. (laughs) And when you retire, surprise, you actually get uh, $10,000 from your kids from each of the kids that you have and you then count up all the money that you have uh, all the um, money uh, the values uh, that's uh, attached to uh, the assets that you have and whoever has most money wins Uh, it's a it's a game but actually it's a game that many people live uh, many people play in real life isn't it? We kind of think uh, we make these choices and life sort of ends in retirement and whoever has most money we think kind of wins. In a manner of speaking, Jesus came to play a very different game. He didn't come to win. He tells us in verse 21 that he came to die. He came to give his life. And when Peter tries to stop him, he doesn't he, he, he calls him Satan and a stumbling block and he shows a path that many of us are still on. A path that shows that we're more concerned about our, our life, uh, concerns about ourselves rather than God. And then he calls us to follow him on the path of, the, of discipleship. What well, you heard last week, 
how Peter made this inspired confession. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But did you notice how that passage ends in verse 20? In verse 20, Jesus tells the disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Messiah. Well, why does he do that? Well, he does that because he knows Peter and the disciples don't understand what it means for him to be the Messiah. So he explains in our passage in verse 21 and on. He tells us, From that time on, Jesus began to explain that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Did you notice that this is not an optional extra for the Messiah? This is not something that he just does because he wants to do. He says he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer. He must die and and be raised again. Of course, this was difficult to understand for them. Imagine if President Zelensky of Ukraine gathered all the generals right now. and He said to them, generals, I'm going to turn myself in. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to die at the hands of the Russians. Well, what would the generals say? The generals would say, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? If you do that, we will lose. We can't win this war. But this Messiah's mission, Jesus, our King, his mission could only be accomplished through his death. And you know the reason why. Jesus didn't come to crush all his enemies. It didn't, Jesus didn't come to give us a life, uh, at, at that point, life without uh, suffering. Jesus didn't come uh, to save us from a difficult life. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's why he came. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many because he knew that our hearts are defiled, that evils come from our hearts, as we have heard a couple weeks back. He, he came because he knows of hell, a place, as he talks about in, in Matthew 13, a place of suffering, a burning fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He came not to be served but as a, a to serve, to give his, life, give his life as a ransom for many. Remember last week how Jesus said, upon that rock he will build his church, his bride. Well, uh, without the cross, without the cross, would there be a church? Without the cross, who would be found holy and righteous and perfect? Where would be the people of God? Uh, who's, uh, who, who's ready, fit to be the bride of Christ. Well, without the cross, there wouldn't be any. We couldn't be that, not on our own. So he went to the cross to build his church, to court his church, to bring us back to himself, to reconcile us to God and to one another as God's people so that we could stand when he comes back as beautifully dressed bride of Christ. So friends, as we begin the sermon, let me ask, is this, uh, do you really think that the death of the Son of God was necessary on your behalf? That you needed this rescue? You know, a lot of Muslims don't think so. Muslims don't think that they needed this rescue. They don't think that God would have let a prophet, uh, God's prophet, to die this terrible death, uh, much less the Son of God. 
But in the end, they don't believe that this uh, didn't happen because they don't think that it was necessary, that the Son of God must suffer and die because they believe that they could get to God. They could be reconciled to God through their own merit. And actually, a lot of Christians, people who call themselves Christians, believe this too. They think that Jesus came as a moral example, an uh, example for us to follow. I've heard it said that um, somebody said that, that, that you, uh, Jesus went to the cross to show us how we could love even our enemies. Certainly, though, if we read it that way, well, that's not a necessary death, is it? It's not a, a, a death that, 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 that he must endure. And many would see such death as a foolishness. Why would you do something like that when there's so many other good things to be done? Now, Jesus went to the cross and he stayed on the cross because he's our Messiah, our only Savior who could save us from our sins. So, friends, do you believe that sin is your biggest problem. As we look at the world, once again, we think that COVID is, and the war is, um, your work culture um, is, uh, Carrie Lam is, or Russia, or, or Ukraine, or America, or China, or whatever it is. What is your biggest problem? What do you consider to be your biggest problem? Because our Savior came to die for our sins. So He could rescue us from hell, to make us his bride. He came for us. But Peter didn't understand. He was spiritually immature. So he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Verse 22, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Uh, Peter didn't quite understand, but he was doing the same thing that Satan did in the very beginning of our gospel. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Satan, the devil, taking Jesus on the top of the mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world, showing him all its splendors, and saying to Jesus, just bow down to me, I'll give you the world, his kingdom without suffering. That's what he was promising. And he'll do it again. He'll do it again at the end, even at the very end of Jesus' life. Even as Jesus hangs on the cross, remember how the crowd tempts Jesus. They say, come down from the cross, Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, if you're the Son of God. And they scoff. He can save others, but he can't save himself. Trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross is satanic. Jesus says so to Peter. Jesus turned to him and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus, Peter was speaking, uh, doing the same thing that Satan did, standing in the way of Jesus going to the cross, trying to stop him. Well, we can't do that. I mean, Jesus went to the cross. We can't stop Jesus from going to the cross. But we are, but we can make the same mistake that Peter makes and become and, and be, uh, walk on the path of spiritual immaturity, which is to put our concerns, our preconceptions about God and our, our, what we think God should do over God's concerns. We can easily be on that path of spiritual immaturity. I wonder if you can see yourself in Peter much. 
Have you ever rebuked God for things that you don't understand? Probably not in words. Um, God, but in thoughts, God, you should be doing this. I mean, God, oh, I don't understand why all these things are happening. COVID is happening. You should be getting rid of COVID. You should be stopping this war. Um, And we might even dare to rebuke God. How dare you, God, run the world in this way? How dare you? you? You let all these people suffer in this way. And of course, we are allowed to protest and we're encouraged to do so, especially in the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, people are protesting to God all the time. And, we, uh, and, and that's given to us as model. And those are words that we can repeat back to God. But if we stop there, if we never say, if we never come to God kneeling before Him, saying, God, I don't understand, but I know that you are good. I know that I can trust you in this. Well, if we never make that confession, we're on the path of immaturity, like Peter. Another sign of spiritual immaturity might be is uh, to try to use God to get what we want. Friends, is the goal of your life the same as before you met Christ? Do we still live to play the same game? Saving more money, preparing for retirement, seeking honor from men uh, and women to achieve a certain status. Do we also then use, to, use God to get what we want? Do we ask God to help us to get these things that we want? Church, if we aren't living for God's glory, if God's concern, God's things that God's more concerned about isn't our concern, that's not something that we are obsessed about, then friends, we might have deeply misunderstood who Jesus is. We might be on the path of unfruitfulness um, and, and be cut off on the day of judgment. We might also want to ask why we, want, we come to God. Do we only come uh, to Him for encouragement and affirmation and comfort? Of course, Jesus gives these things. He's the one who can perfectly give us um, these things. But once again, the the key word is only. Do we only come to God for these things to be affirmed, to be comforted, and to be encouraged? Uh, If we never come to the Bible, if we never come to God to be taught, to be rebuked, uh, to be corrected and trained for godly living, then Jesus, we're treating Jesus as our therapist and not as our Lord. But probably the biggest symptom of spiritual immaturity is our persistent self-centeredness. If we still think of Christianity in terms of what's in it for me, what can God do for me? What can church do for me? What can others do for me? What can the small group do for me? What can joining or doing these things do for me? If we think of Christianity in terms of what's in it for me, well, that's a telltale sign of being spiritually immature. Jesus will say shortly, if we meet Jesus as our Lord and Savior, uh, that person reorientates their life towards God and towards others in service of God and in service of others. Friends, is that how you live your life? Is that how you live your life for God's glory, to serve others? 
And let me ask this question. Is that why you come to church? Is that how you come to church? Is that the reason why you come to church? Why do you come to church? Do you just come to receive? Or do you come to give? Do you come to meet people so you can pray with people, to find out what's going on in their life, to see if you can be used in service of God, and to help uh, those people looking for opportunities, to, to welcome new people into the church? Even as we come to church, our biggest concerns are human concerns, often, isn't it? Where should our kids go? Our comfort, our kids' education, our health. We often don't come to serve. And I think this is, unfortunately, we have a lot, I mean, we do have a lot of selfless people who love Jesus and who want to serve um, Jesus in this way. And thank you so much for that. But I think, I think, I regret to say, I think the biggest problem with Shatin Church is many, many people who come to church for themselves and not for Christ, not to serve others, not to love others, not to get to know and love others. Friends, are we living stones in God's temple or are we stumbling blocks in the way? Uh, what does Jesus actually call us to do? What is a path? What is the path of discipleship? Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. A disciple is somebody who denies uh, themselves. And this isn't about uh, giving up chocolate, right? He, the chocolate for Lent. No, this is a deeper denial. It's denial of ourself, who we are. In explaining this passage, uh, Dr. Chris Wright, um, uh, a theologian, tells this a funny story about at the time when he was a, a principal uh, in a theological college in India. He had a potluck with all the staff, and people brought in food, and they, you know they love Indian food, and their kids, his his kids loved Indian food, and his two kids were in front of the line. He they they went and they piled their favorite food on top of their plates to the to the extent that there was no more food left. There, there's some of the dishes there weren't any left for other people. And uh, Chris says he was so embarrassed that he wanted to deny that these were his children. Oh, I don't, that, that, they're not my kids, except that that was hard to do because, well, they were the only white kids in the room. It's that sort of denial that's here. It's the denial, it's the same denial that Peter does. I don't know Jesus three times in the uh, coming chapters. We are to deny ourselves and put it to death, our sinful self, and put it to death. And that's why this denial is followed by uh, the call to pick up the cross. Uh, once again, this picking up the cross, bearing the cross, isn't about just putting up with difficult circumstance. No, it's a call to death. It's called to die. Now, when the disciples first, first heard it, they probably heard it as a call to die for God's kingdom, like literally, like in the, in the way that many zealots died on the cross uh, because of their rebellion against the Roman Empire. They probably understood it that way, and that's closer to this call. It is a call to die, except that it, it is a call to leave everything, all the, all the past and our life as we know it, and to follow Jesus. Friends, are we denying ourselves? And are we picking up the cross and following Jesus? Are we putting our sinful nature to death? 
You know, Mary might say um, to me, oh, he, I know you. I know you. I know you. By which she means, oh, you know, other people think that you're wonderful, but I know you, the true you, the real you. Well, except she doesn't. <laughs> there are parts of me that are only known to me and God. And I know I must deny that part of myself. I must say, this is not part of me anymore. I need to kill this part and follow Jesus. Are we doing that? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve denied God, didn't they? They wanted to be their own God, and they wanted to define what's right and wrong, their purpose in life, uh, by themselves. And so they left and rebelled God. And this call to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus is the exact opposite. It's the call to say, no longer will I do what I want to do, but I will follow Jesus as my Lord. I'll do whatever He says, He asks us to do. In the same way, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the life that I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. The life I now live in the body, I no longer live. I live by faith in the Son of God. Friends, which part of you do you need to say, that's no longer part of me? Or why would we even do that? That sounds difficult. We do that because losing our life for Jesus is the only way of finding it. Verse 25. When we give up our old self, our old life, we find a new life in Christ. You know, there are certain institutions and experiences uh, that are so significant that you sort of lose yourself and you become a new person. I'm told the United States, uh, United, uh, U.S. Marine, Marine Corps is kind of like that. When you join the Marine, you do lose yourself. You know, they tell you when to wake up when to eat, where to eat, what to do at each hour, how, when to brush your teeth, when to go to bed, where to live. They dictate every part of your life. You lose yourself in that way, but what you gain, you become, I'm told that you become this person who's strong, who's reliable, who's dependable, who is uh, disciplined. And when a Marine leaves uh, the Marine Corps, they don't just stop being a Marine. They carry that identity with them. They are a Marine no matter what they do in the future. And that's a little bit of what following Jesus is like. Let Jesus be your Lord and Master. Let Jesus tell you how to spend your time. Let Jesus tell you how to spend your money, how to spend your energy, what to do with life. If Jesus tells you to come home and serve your wife instead of watching TV or playing video games, you do that. And when Jesus tells you uh, to uh, not go along with the rude joke uh, you know, with your peers, you do that, you stand up. When Jesus tells you to stand up to your boss uh, who's cheating the clients, you do that as well. When he tells you to use your retirement, and not for selfish indulgence, but for selfless service, you do that too. When he tells you to give up at least 10% of your income in the service of his kingdom, you do that. You follow that call. Friends, what does it mean for you? I know the circumstances are all different for all of us. What does it mean for you to deny yourself, picking up the cross, and following Jesus. What does it mean for you to lose yourself in the Lordship of Jesus in order to find it? What does that mean for you? 
What does it mean to be selfless and be filled with Christ? And none of this is easy. But it is the life that we're meant to live. It is a life and the path of abundance. And perhaps more importantly, when the Son of Man comes, verse 27, He will come and He will reward each person for what He has done. And the flip side of that, not following Jesus, well, the price of that is incalculable, verse 26. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? John Stott is fond of telling the story of a wealthy man who died and whose funeral he took. So this was a wildly wealthy person. And so somebody came up to him and cheekily asked him, so how much did he leave? Uh, He answered, everything. Right? You can't take anything beyond the grave. Everything. He left everything. Friends, you can't win the game of life by keeping most stuff. By being most secure in money or whatever in your name. You, You can't do it. You can have everything in the world and yet still lose. Friends, it's okay. It's okay to lose everything in this world to follow Jesus to gain our soul. And we've died. We've already died in that way anyway. But death is not the end, is it? You know, in verse 21, when Jesus was teaching uh, the disciples about what will happen, Peter paid no attention to the very end of what will happen. You know, Jesus must suffer, and he must die, and be killed, and he must die. But he says he will rise again. He will be raised to life. He rose again. Friends, for those who deny themselves to follow Jesus, death will not have the final say. Let's pray. Lord, we are selfish beings. Lord, we are people by nature who love ourselves uh, more than anything else. Lord, help us to see the beauty of what you have done in Jesus. Help us to see your glory, your love for us. Lord, may we be so taken by your love, by the beauty of what you have done, uh, by this message of forgiveness, our new identity in you, that we will deny ourselves, that we'll leave it behind and crucify it and follow you as our Lord and Savior. And may we find a new life, a life that is worth living, a life that is a true win in this world and in the world to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.